Scary Story Podcast brings original short scary stories right to your ears every week. Like Dead of Night, the story of a man who moves into a new apartment building only to discover its sinister foundation. Or another recent one, The Delivery, where a man discovers a family secret hidden in plain sight. Have you ever listened to a scary story that lingers as if it reminds you of a long lost memory? My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and writer over at Scary Story Podcast, where every episode brings you a short, original scary story every week. The stories are read just like this, me telling you a frightening story that will blur the lines between this and the world of hauntings, ghosts, experiences that defy logical explanation. You can join us by searching for Scary Story Podcast on your app right now. It's the show by Scary FM. I'll see you over on Scary Story Podcast. Hello, my dark darlings. I'm Markia, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. I was wondering if you could all help me try something. After you listen, can you share this podcast with someone you think would enjoy it? We really want to spread the scary love and appreciate you helping us build this community. In the new year... Many people are eager to get out, visit friends, family, and new places. But while they're focused on the destination, many people forget it's all about the journey. And with ghosts, spirits, and evil entities, the journey can be a treacherous one from which you will never return. First, a deadly red eye, followed by crossing the wrong ghost. Then, screams from the elevator. Finally, in our featured story, a killer commute. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week, and of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast. Along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com slash snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. If you'd like to support Something Scary, then consider joining our Patreon. As a patron, not only can you help the show and see ad-free episodes, but you can also be a part of the horror and hear your name featured in one of our podcasts or weekly video stories. Visit patreon.com slash snarled. So, want to hear something scary? New Journeys, New Horrors Being around strangers can be stressful enough, but when you're stuck with them on a plane, it might be enough to drive you mad. Like in this story inspired by Abby Rose. Tanisha traveled all over the world as a seasoned flight attendant. She was covering the overnight red-eye flight, welcoming passengers onto the plane. She handed each of them a sanitary wipe accompanied by her calming smile. Most passengers thanked her and made their way to their seats. However, one teen brushed past Tanisha, snatching the wipe out of her hand and scratching her in the process. The teen never even looked up before scurrying to her seat. Tanisha immediately sensed something was off about that passenger. The attendant's eyes searched down the cabin later on to find the rude teen with the short black hair, but she couldn't spot her. She was jolted back to the present when a passenger noticed her hand was bleeding. That did not bode well for a long flight. Much later on, as
as she was making her way down the aisle, passing out snacks and sodas. Again, Tanisha searched for the teen. She couldn't find her, which was odd and more than a bit disconcerting. She shook off the spooky feeling. Obviously, she had just missed her somehow. It was soon 1 a.m., and they were experiencing extreme turbulence. Thankfully, most passengers were asleep. Others fixated on their devices. Just as Tanisha was about to close her eyes for a few minutes, a help light went on at the back of the plane. As she steadied herself on the seats and approached the help light, the wound on her hand began to throb. There, Tanisha finally noticed the short black hair of the rude teen. She experienced the same odd sensation that something was off. Eyeing the other passengers, Tanisha noted everyone else around her was asleep. She arrived at the seat and said as calmly as possible, Hi, may I help you? The teen glared up at her with solid black eyes that matched her hair. She looked young, maybe around 13 years old, and her lips were worryingly blue. Her head kept turning up towards Tanisha, more and more, until it was set at an unnatural angle. She then croaked. It's playtime, Tanisha. Tanisha's blood froze, and the cut on her hand felt like it was on fire. Turbulence lurched under her feet, and she instinctively stepped back, looking down to brace herself. She hurriedly looked back up. The young teen was no longer there. Sitting in her place was a much older balding man who was fast asleep. She shook him awake. He seemed irritated, but once he saw the panic on Tanisha's face, he grew concerned. She asked him if he had seen the teenager, if she was traveling with him. The man shook his head. He hadn't seen anyone with that description. Worriedly, he asked her if she needed help with her bloody hand. She realized she was bleeding through her bandage. Embarrassed and taking a deep breath, Tanisha tried to pull herself together and walked back to her attendant's chair. Again, steadying herself on the seats due to the turbulence, maybe she was going crazy. Too many flights in a row. She probably just needed sleep. Just as she sat down, those taunting black eyes peered at her again, but this time through the window in the exit door. Impossibly, the teen was on the outside of the plane. Tanisha watched her mouth as it formed the words, Time to play. Rushing to the cockpit, Tanisha flung open the door and locked herself inside. She let out a yell when she turned and saw the pilot. Her lifeless body sprawled across the control panel, her lips blue. She looked to the co-pilot seat and there, there she was, the teen with the solid black eyes. Tanisha could see now that the turbulence wasn't from a storm or clouds, but from the way the plane's controls were being twisted. Before Tanisha could leave the cockpit, the entity grabbed her bloody hand, squeezing where it had marked her before. 
The pilots refuse to play. So now it's your turn, Tanisha. Tanisha stared, frozen in place into those bottomless black eyes as the plane began to plummet. The last transmission from Flight 379 was just before they reported the beginning of the freak turbulence. After that, all communication from the plane stopped. Flight 379 was never found. No wreckage, no survivors. Conspiracy theorists claim many possibilities, one of them being alien abduction. But I know what really happened. Because I was there. Tanisha didn't want to play. But one day, on a flight really soon, you will love the Black-Eyed Girl. Thank you so much, Abby Rose, for inspiring this high-flying horror tale for us. Have you ever spotted this black-eyed entity? Are you afraid of flying? Which is more terrifying, being stuck in the air or being trapped with the people you're with? Deep in the trees of Alabama rests a crossing called Hell's Gate Bridge. And if you dare cross it, you'll find out exactly how it got its name. Like in this story inspired by Caitlin. Thank you to our Patreon members, Ariana and Crystal, whose names will be featured in this story. In Alabama in the 1950s, Bobby DeMille and Maggie Eaton Two high school sweethearts were driving along Brookside Bridge, heading back home after a winning football game. Something terrible must have happened on that bridge because their car rammed through and flew over the railing into the swift waters below. Both teens drowned. The community mourned as the bridge was repaired. It was chalked up to a terrible accident. For years, There were rumors of ghosts and apparitions appearing on the bridge from time to time. But it wasn't until almost 70 years later that those rumors came to life. A group of four teenagers who dubbed themselves as adrenaline seekers were about to embark on a new adventure that they'd never forget. Martin and Augie were brothers and their parents had warned them of the bridge since they were little. Most town folk avoided Brookside Bridge, or as the locals had started to call it, Hell's Gate Bridge, altogether, taking the longer route out of Dulhoney Avenue. But one night, while trying to impress their girlfriends, Ariana and Crystal, they decided to take them to the infamous bridge to see if the rumors were true. Apparently, people had said that if you drove onto Hell's Gate Bridge, parked and turned your headlights off, the ghosts of Bobby and Maggie would appear. Martin and Augie, not believing in folklore or fairy tales, but wanting to impress their lady friends, were determined to test out the rumor. As Martin drove the car toward the bridge, Ariana immediately protested. While she was all about skydiving and bungee jumping, Messing with spirits was crossing a line that she didn't want to mess with. 
she begged them to take the Dulhenny exit instead, but Martin stayed on his original path. As they approached the bridge, Ariana demanded for them to stop the car to let her out. Crystal tried her best to calm Ariana down. They couldn't just leave her out there by herself. Besides, Crystal didn't believe in ghosts. And if they were real, how could they harm the living when they passed through anything solid, she laughed. Martin drove the car to the middle of the bridge, then parked, turning the lights off. It was too quiet. No one spoke. The windows of the car were cracked and they could hear the wind, feel it buffing against the side. But otherwise, just silence. Everyone looked around, straining their eyes in the dark to see something, anything. But there was nothing. See, I told you there was nothing to worry about. Augie said as he chuckled. And just like that, the windows rolled up and the doors clicked, locking everyone inside. Hey y'all, stop it, Ariana warned. But it was obvious no one inside the car had done it, especially without the others seeing it. Augie and Martin, confused, tried opening the doors, but they wouldn't budge. Ariana and Crystal, realizing that this wasn't part of some gag, started beating on the glass of the windows. All four high schoolers were trying to find a way out to no avail. As they looked out the windshield, two images began to appear in front of the car. What is that? whimpered Crystal. They all realized they must be looking at Bobby and Maggie standing 10 feet in front of the car, or at least what was left of them. The figures were drenched in water with sagging water bloated skin slipping slowly off their faces. They opened their mouths and raised their arms to point at the car in unison. Martin started screaming in terror. Bobby and Maggie quickly moved their pointed fingers, thrusting their arms toward the ravine. As if it was attached to that movement, their car was hurtled over the side of the bridge, slamming through the railing towards the waters below. All four occupants cried and clawed at the doors and windows, but they sank to the bottom of the deep river, trapped, no chance to survive. Unable to warn the next group of people of the very real dangers of that bridge. Perhaps cursed to be the next beings to be seen by anyone foolish enough to do what they had done. In any case, Hell's Gate Bridge continues to live up to its name. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for inspiring this tale for us. Listener, would you dare cross a bridge with that name? Are you or do you have any friends who are thrill seekers? Or do you prefer to listen to other people's horrifying stories? Parents aren't perfect, and it's hard for them to live up to all our expectations. But if they can be there when it really counts, 
That could be the difference between life or death. Like in this story inspired by Miriam. My mother, Atlanta, wasn't naturally maternal. Not very warm or loving, but she did her best. She was very ambitious and talented and would try to provide anything that we might need or want. So when she got the opportunity to take me to the big city for a work trip, she jumped on it. She had been trying to find a better full-time job with a living wage and health benefits for years, something that she wouldn't have to have a second part-time job as well to make ends meet. Her boss was sending her on a trip out of town to inspect a building, and she knew that making contacts in a new job market was our opportunity to seal the deal on a new life. Mom was supposed to meet the contractor at the building and make sure all the asbestos issues had been taken care of. That was it. But somehow when we arrived, I felt like there was more to the project than stated. The building itself, originally built in the early 1900s, was now a 72-unit apartment building in the meatpacking district. It looked like it could have crumbled at any minute. It definitely needed a full restoration. So the fact that mom was just supposed to sign off on asbestos alone seemed odd. We were dropped off by our taxi outside the building, and mom used her key to get inside. She sensed my hesitation, but pushed me through the threshold and patient for me to tag along. As I entered the lobby of what perhaps was a time capsule of a building, I felt a cold chill rush over me. Mom led me over to the elevator. It was ornate and antique and nothing I wanted to enter. But I went anyway. My stomach flipped before we even began the ascent. We're supposed to meet him on the 14th floor, Mom commented as she pushed me inside the elevator. Little known fact that people don't realize. Because of superstitions regarding the number 13, the 13th floor in most buildings is relabeled as the 14th floor. If you don't believe me, check the elevator panel next time you're in a tall building. As I checked this panel, I could see the 14th floor was, like usual, really the 13th floor in disguise. I knew she was talking about meeting the contractor, but it didn't matter. The fact that anyone wanted to be inside this decrepit building was a miracle. The elevator shrieked and creaked every inch up the 13 floors. I felt like it could give way at any moment. Then, with a jolt, the elevator stopped. Its doors slowly opened, revealing nothing but darkness. In the distance was a dim overhead light. Beyond that, someone or something moved. As we squinted, trying to adjust to the lighting, we saw something unexpected. A pair of what looked like red eyes were watching us, unblinking down the hallway. I grabbed my mother's hand, which she shooed away. It's just the contractor. Her breathy words belied her confidence. She exited the elevator and started walking toward the twin red lights, attempting to act as if nothing was strange. 
She made normal salutations and faked conviction as she walked closer and closer towards the end of the hall. As she crossed into the single dim light, a sound pierced the air. I covered my ears, an immediate pain bursting through my head. Mom looked back at me, motioning me to stay in the elevator. She was a practical woman who did not believe in the supernatural. But even if she did, it would have been too late. There was a hiss that made my skin crawl, then lightning fast movement. Whatever it was, it was huge. Besides the eyes, it was shrouded in darkness, filling the hallway now taller than any person. It pounced grabbing her tight and pulled her into the dark. I heard the scrape of her shoes being dragged across the tiled hallway. I let out a scream and reached for her, but before I could do anything, the elevator door slammed shut and I was catapulted to the first floor. There, the door slammed open. I raced out of the building, still hearing my mother's screams. I ran for help crying and pleading to anyone who would listen. It took forever, but eventually the police said the building had been condemned, that nobody alive even owned it anymore. But even worse, it was later revealed that there was no deal with my mother's company and no contractor on site. Her boss, who she worked remotely with, had never sent the project to her. Who? or what had managed to lure my mother out there. I never saw my mom again. The building was eventually demolished, but every time I'm in an elevator and pass what is actually the 13th floor, I swear, I faintly hear her screaming out to me to stay away. Thank you so much, Miriam, for inspiring this horrifying tale for us. Have you been to the 14th floor in a building? Or what they say is the 14th floor? Did you notice anything different about it? How far would you go into a bad situation before you would finally trust your instinct to run? I'd lose my head if it wasn't attached. A light saying for when you've lost something important and are frantically tearing everything apart looking for it. Dia stood on the platform patiently waiting for the night train. It was always late. As usual, the station was deserted. As she looked up at the full moon, she realized just how eerie it was. She got out her cell to distract herself from the ominous silence. She looked up from Clash of Clans and noticed movement on the tracks. Dia moved closer to the edge of the platform, hoping it was a deer and not a potential mugger. Using the flashlight on her cell, she peered down the tracks and was horrified to see it was a person. Hey, she called out. In the darkness, she could only really make out the silhouette of a shortish-looking person with their back to her. 
Without turning around, they replied, Help me. Dia panicked, someone asking for assistance, yet she couldn't clearly see who they were and how she could get down to help them. Instead of immediately descending from the platform, she asked, What do you need help with? The person was now bent over on their hands and knees, and their answer came in a frantic tone. Please, I've lost it. I, I can't find it. Help. The voice was female. Dia peered down the tracks and couldn't see or hear any evidence of an approaching engine. Gingerly, she made her way over to the shadowy figure, casting the light from her cell onto the tracks. Her stomach began to churn the closer she got, but she ignored her intuition. The person was still on all fours, scrambling about, looking for something on the ground, something on the tracks. They raised an arm, beckoning Dia towards them. She edged closer as a strange smell caused her nostrils to flare. She moved her phone so the beam of light hit the person, but it seemed to go right through them. Her heart sped up as they began to rise. What are you look, she began, but froze mid-speech when the figure finally turned around, revealing its true and hideous form. Dia had been correct in assuming the person was female and short, mainly because although it should have been impossible, her head was missing. Her clothing was old and ragged, and from the neck down, dripping in blood. It was a skundakata, a headless ghost, believed to be the spirit of those who died in a train accident from being decapitated. They are always searching for their missing heads. This one was pleading with Dia to help. She knew they could attack humans, make them slaves in the search for their lost heads. Dia needed to run, to get off the tracks and away from this entity, no good had ever come from conversing with the Skundakata. But she was paralyzed, unable to move a muscle. The spirit came closer, the sulfuric smell causing Dia to gag. And then she looked at the gravel vibrating on the tracks and felt the ground beneath her feet begin to rumble. She heard the sound of the approaching train, saw the lights from the front of the engine get closer. No! She screamed, the dawning realization of her deadly location hitting her like a sledgehammer. She screwed her eyes shut and threw up her hands, but it was too late to run. Even the poor conductor didn't see her. She stood up after the train had gone by, momentarily wondering why she couldn't see. Maybe she'd gotten dust in her eyes. As she reached up to rub them, her hands passed through the empty space. Sinking to her knees in anguish, she understood. She hadn't survived the train. She'd become a skundakata. Dia's head remained attached to the front of the train for miles before it finally dropped off onto the tracks near an empty station. To this day, late at night, passengers riding the train will swear they see a woman walking about in search of something but never sure what it is that she's looking for.
This week's podcast stories were edited by Markia McCarty, Janine Pipe, and Sarah Lukasiewicz. Narration by Markia McCarty. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Mari Carlson. Produced by Hannah Mullen and Markia McCarty. Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my dark darlings. Sweet dreams. <laughs>